0: I want you, just to close your eyes, I want to read this over you because sometimes when we take it in part, we don't necessarily hear it. And it's only 14 verses, and I think it's so tremendous. I want to, I want to read it over you. Now, this is the main point of the things we are seeing. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he, God said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that, he says a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hallelujah. That's the authoritative word of God. And there is no other. You may be seated. Have you ever felt the responsibility of solely being responsible for something? Oh, my goodness. It's hard to function under that much pressure. When my children were young, I felt so responsible for my children. And I kept losing one of them. Char loved to escape from me in the market because he loved to hear the sound of his name over the loudspeaker. So every time I would go to the market, I would hear, would the mother of Charlo Broderson please meet in the front? And I would look around and sure enough, he'd be gone. And he just, he loved to do that because he loved the sound of his name. But I was so afraid that I was going to do something wrong with my children, like maybe they were meant to be a great soccer star and I gave them piano lessons. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe they were meant to be an engineer and you know I made them clean the backyard. I was just so afraid that all their potentiality and all that they were going to be rested on me as their mother doing all the right things. And when that burden of responsibility would hit me, I became pushy. And overbearing, you can ask them, they will tell you themselves, anxious and nervous. Ooh, all of those things, because I felt so responsible. When my oldest daughter was taking her state board exams, she asked me to be her model. And she said to me, Mom, only one thing you must do, and I want it to be you. I said, okay, you may not speak I think I even talk in my sleep. I, you know, I don't know. So I said, okay, okay. I prayed so much. Oh, God, don't let me talk. Don't let me talk. And at one part of her exam, she had to put false eyelashes on me. And I remember, you know, she did this eye and they were individual ones. And then this is my first time ever with false eyelashes this time. I wore them at Christmas and they were magnetic and I accidentally wiped my eye and couldn't find it. It was on my watch that night, but that's another story. So if you thought I looked really good at the Christmas coffee, it was magnetic. And I was trying to be magnetic. But anyway, so there I am. And she puts the other one on and I feel it flip up. Like I can tell it's flipping up. I can't look in the mirror, but I can tell it. I'm not allowed to talk. If I talk, she's kicked out and she loses. I mean, automatically disqualified. So there I am, you know, having never worn false eyelashes before. And I'm trying to hit and like, And I'm not allowed to move my hands or anything, so I'm like, <laughs> I can't talk. And she's, and my daughter, she's so much like her father. She's very calm, and you know, she's got that from my father and from her father. And she looks at me and she just goes and begins to fix it. But that responsibility of not being able to talk, not even to be able to go, mm-mm, nothing, and I felt so responsible if she. Blunks this. It's because I made a noise. All oh, that responsibility. Just even as I was um, typing the lesson out, I get this call from FedEx, and they're like, "You've got a package coming tomorrow. We need to make sure somebody's there all day." So I'm like, "Oh great, I'm here all day." And then I hung up, and it was a package that I thought was for Dave and Nancy Sylvester, who live in England, who said to me, um, we have packages arriving at your house. I said, no problem. But then they were leaving. They left on Wednesday for England. This is Tuesday. And I'm like, this is not a problem. When I remembered I had a lunch date, I had no sooner hung up than I was like, oh, I just got to lunch. And I planned this lunch date like two months before. And all of a sudden I felt so responsible for this package and for the FedEx and for Dave and Nancy's welfare and everything that would go on in their life. And I was like, wow. I'm just thinking about responsibility and I'm writing about responsibility and I've got an added responsibility. I started to get so nervous. I sent them a text and I said, look, I can't be here between the hours of 11.30 and 1.30. I don't know because they said the package is coming and somebody has to be here. And I don't wanna miss this because I know you guys are going to England. So they said, don't worry, we'll come over. But they were running late and I just missed them. And I was praying that the FedEx person didn't come because they give you that yellow slip and then you have to find FedEx someplace and then they have to find your package. (laughs) What if they can't find it in time for their flight? So they come over to my house. And while they're there, Dave decides just to track this package only to find out it was something I ordered for my grandson's birthday that had been delivered the day before up in Santa Rosa but that sense of personal responsibility. You see, the old covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel carried this incredibly heavy sense of responsibility. It was like a business contract. And both parties signed, and it had conditions and responsibilities, consequences, deadlines, and standards. And it was heavy, because if you didn't keep your part, there were consequences. You agreed to this. It contained both blessings and curses. And it was absolutely binding. Right behavior would result in blessing. Wrong behavior would result in curses and exclusions. In the Bible, we find that God is a covenant-making God. He makes these agreements. He makes these contracts with men. He made a covenant with Adam in Genesis two sixteen through 17, and he said, Adam, you are so blessed. You can eat of any tree in this garden, and you may eat as much as you want, and you may eat any time you want, and there's only one prohibition, do not eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden because, because there's a consequence to eating of that tree. And the day that you eat it, you'll bring death into your life. You will surely die. Such an easy, you not know, you get everything, only one stipulation, don't do it. Only one. And Adam could not even keep that covenant. Just one stipulation, all the fruit, all the peace, all the joy. And he had a perfect wife, almost, until she met Satan, typical. But he couldn't keep it. Noah, in Genesis chapter 9, God said to Noah that he would never again destroy the whole earth with a flood. And he put a bow in the heavens as a sign of his covenant. Now, when you read the word bow, it's talking about a bow that shoots an arrow. And this bow that God put in the sky, it comes after a storm. And sometimes even during the storm. And it's a variegated colors. And it proves to you that the sun is shining still that the sun is the greater reality. It's greater than the storm. And I believe the colors show God's mercy, how vast, how variegated, how it just stretches over the sky and the expanse. But something else that's interesting is the foreshadowing of this bow, because God says, I won't destroy you or the earth. But the bow is actually pointed, so should an arrow be put into it, it would shoot towards heaven. It would shoot the only begotten son of God rather than man. In Abraham, God made a covenant, Genesis 15. And as a sign of the surety of this covenant he made... He told Abraham to gather a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And they were all cut in half. And what that signified was, if this contract, whoever broke the contract, that would be their fate. They would be cut in half. And there's a path between these animals. And the parties would start on one end of the sacrifices. This is how an Old Testament covenant or how they were made in the ancient times in the Middle East. So you would have these animal carcasses, half on one side, half on the other side, and the two parties on either end, and they would meet in the middle, signifying that they were both agreed to keep the covenant, both agreed to the consequences of breaking that covenant. Interestingly, God put Abraham to sleep and he alone passed through because he he made a covenant of faith with Abraham and all Abraham needed to do was believe in God and it was counted to him for righteousness, but God said the consequences will all be against me if I fail to do everything I've promised. People entered into covenants for the benefits, for the blessings, for the advantages. But there was this element of fear added as an incentive, as a further guarantee. I don't know if you used to do this, but you would uh, cross my heart and swear to die, stick a needle in my eye if you didn't keep your word when you were eight years old. Do you remember, I mean no, I never did that Cheryl. Well, I'm sorry, I did. I was a sinner. But you know, those. the idea is, I, I really mean this. This is so true. You can bank on this. You can count on this. Israel's covenant was a mosaic. The national covenant was a mosaic covenant found in Deuteronomy 29. It was a conditional covenant. The blessings were conditional. It was if, you obey, if you follow, if you cling to the Lord, your God, if you adhere, if you observe these sacrifices, if you celebrate the feast, if you do not allow any idolatry in your lives or the land, then God's blessing, then God's presence, then God's prosperity then God's victory for you. But it also came with curses. And there's a whole chapter on curses that began with the absence of God's presence and the anger of God. And even though Israel had the incentive of God's blessings and the incentive of God's curses, they were unable to keep the covenant. In fact, they sought out and served other gods. They ignored and even lost God's laws. They suffered the consequences of a broken covenant. They lost the land. They went into exile and they were oppressed by their enemies. Yet Israel constantly sought to go back and under the old covenant, but they never could fully meet the conditions. And so, what they did is they tried to make it on their own conditions. The Pharisees tried to um, lessen and, and change and alter the laws just enough so they could fulfill, so they could meet them. But through Jesus Christ, God offers a new covenant, not just to Israel, but to the world. Good will toward man. These angels were announcing a new covenant a new agreement to man through Jesus Christ. It was a binding agreement. And in this, Jesus would meet all the conditions. He would take full responsibility for the covenant. He would be the righteousness required for a covenant or an agreement with God. But he would also pay the penalty of anyone who broke that covenant that the covenant might be secure to anyone who entered it. In Hebrews chapter 8, the writer begins to reveal the superiority of the covenant we have through Jesus the Messiah. Now, I know in the book of Hebrews, the word Christ is used frequently. And people tend to think that Christ is Jesus' last name. Just like my last name used to be Smith, and then I got married and it changed to Broderson. But Christ is not Jesus' last name, it is his title. And a better rendering for our understanding is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One. And it, the reason the author of Hebrews keeps using this term Christ is because he wants these readers, these Hebrews, and you, to know that he is the promised one, the anointed one that was spoken about in Psalm 110 by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, the proto of Genesis chapter three. This is the Messiah of Isaiah 53, of Isaiah 9, this is the one that God promised. So he uses this term, Christ, over and over again to emphasize that Jesus is the Messiah and there is no other. But in Hebrews chapter 8, we have eight reasons, which is great because I like it when they match, My birthday is 4-4. I love the matching. Matchy, matchy. We have eight reasons in Hebrews chapter eight why the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Ready? Reason number one. It is better because it was established by a better high priest. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest. Our high priest is better than those old high priests of the old covenant. Why? Our high priest is perfect. Our high priest only needed to offer one sacrifice. He didn't have to make a sacrifice for his sins because he was perfect. But our high priest is better because he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the sanctuary. Our high priest is seated. We will, um, when we get together again and we go into chapter nine and we look at the furnishings in the tabernacle, you will see that there are no chairs in the tabernacle or the temple. The priest was never allowed to sit down signifying that his job would never be done. There was no sacrifice that could totally amend or cover. He had to constantly be at work. But Jesus is seated, which shows the completion, which shows the perfection, which shows the acceptance of his sacrifice, of what he has done. He is seated. The high priest had to always keep the lamps burning, the showbread fresh, the incense lit, and the daily sacrifices maintained. But Jesus is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the fulfillment of every prayer. And he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We're still on reason one. It's not just that he's seated, it's where he's seated. He is seated in the place of honor, the place of favor, the highest position possible. So reason number one, our high priest is superior. Therefore, our covenant is superior. Two, it was established in a superior place. Verses two and verses four through five. He is a minister of the true tabernacle, which God erected, and not a man. Verses four through five. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he, God said, see that you make all things according to the pattern or the template shown you on the mountain. Jesus served and brought his sacrifice to the original, the authentic, the eternal, the real sanctuary of God. The earthly tabernacle was just a copy of the heavenly reality. And it was made according to a pattern or the blueprint or the template of the one in heaven. God said, Moses, I'm going to give you an earthly blueprint, a reproduction, so to speak, of what the heavenly reality is. The high priest would offer the sacrifice on the bronze altar outside the tabernacle or the court of the tabernacle or the court of the temple. Once a year, the blood of of this sacrifice, first one for himself, then for the people, he would take that into the holy place walk through the holy place into the holy of holies, the second chamber of the temple or the tabernacle. He was only allowed to go there on Yom Kippur or the day of atonement, no other time. In fact, Moses said, um, God said to Moses, I want you to tell Aaron, don't try to go into the temple, uh, into the holy of holies of the temple or the tabernacle any other time. The high priest may not go into the Holy of Holies whenever he feels like it. That's a paraphrase. He can only do it once a year and not without a sacrifice. Never could a high priest enter the Holy of Holies without a sacrifice. One for himself and one for the people. So he would take the blood that was offered on the altar and he would bring it in and he would sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, something else right outside the curtain, this thick curtain that blocked the holy place from the holiest of all, this thick curtain, there was an altar of incense. And it was just right there. So the incense would actually permeate and go through into the Holy of Holies. And the priest every day had to keep incense burning and we'll get into the typology of that next time we meet, but for today, this is what I want to say. When the priest would enter the Holy of Holies, the smoke of the incense would go and fill up the Holy of Holies, this little chamber, so that the priest could not even see what he was doing. He would go in and sprinkle. He couldn't even see. It was obscured, and he only did this once a year. And it was obscured. And he had to come in with the two sacrifices and come out. But Jesus took the blood that was spilled on the cross, that was shed on the cross, and he took it up to heaven. And he went into the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God, the one we read about when we read Hebrews 4, verse 16. He took that blood just the blood spilled, the blood for the people because he was already righteous. He took that righteous, precious blood right into the Holy of Holies, God's throne room, of which the Holy of Holies on earth was just a shadow, was just made in the pattern of. And he presented that blood and sprinkled it before the throne of God. And it was accepted and it was applied, and it atoned for every sin. That's reason number two why our covenant is better. It went to the place that availed the real, the real throne, the real holy of holies the place where the cherubim constantly. Remember, in the Holy of Holies on earth, there were two angels that sat above the ark. But we know that there are cherubim in the true Holy of Holies that never cease saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. The one on earth had gold cherubim that couldn't speak. They were just shadows, just replicas of the true Seraphim that constantly glorify and praise the Lord. So it took place in a it took place in a superior throne room. Reason number three. It was established by a better gift and a better sacrifice. He had something, according to verse three, superior to offer. Just even as the high priest. Brought in the blood of goats or of lambs. Jesus came in with a gift. But it was a superior gift. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Jesus came with the superior offering. His own blood. But we're going to get more of that in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10. Why this sacrifice is superior. Right now? We're just on covenant. Jesus offered to God his perfect, sinless, righteous, powerful blood. Even as we sang, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the lamb. I never met my grandpa, my dad's dad. I never met my mom's dad. I never met anybody. No, I uh, knew my grandma for four years. That's, But I, you know, I never knew my grandpas are really knew my grandmas, but I was told about my grandpa. And when he got saved, he he just came running and like bursting into the kingdom. Jesus became his everything. And he loved, he was a real estate agent, and before that, a refrigerator salesman. But he loved to go into the jails and the prisons and minister about Jesus. And as he would go through, he would go in the cell blocks between the cells inviting all of the prisoners into the chapel for the service. And he liked to go through with his Bible raised high, singing at the top of his lungs. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. But he liked to add an extra power. There is power, power, power in the blood. And my dad told me he gone a couple of times with his own father. And he loved to do that. And sometimes he'd even do the Bible along the bars, like there's power, power. So many of those convicts got saved. And my grandpa would say, when you get out and the Lord emancipates you and frees you by the blood of Jesus, come to my house for dinner. And they would. And my dad had more interesting stories about some of the men who my grandmother fed at that dinner table. And oh my goodness, in fact, to this day, I know how to break into a house because of uh, one of the men that visited at uh, that dinner table. Because my dad, he taught my dad and his brothers how to break into any house because he had formerly been a thief. But my dad would would tell you, mafiosa. I mean, uh, amazing. But this is the power of the blood. But we're going to talk about later why that sacrifice was superior and the power of that sacrifice. But that's for another time. So reason number four, it was established by a more excellent ministry or a superior way rather than just going into an earthly sanctuary with blood, Jesus earned a more excellent ministry, verse six, because of his perfection and righteousness. He earned and merited what the earthly priest could never merit. He is a superior mediator. What he did... And how he did it, taking it all the way to the heavenlies, doing it by way of a cross rather than a bronze altar, is superior. He is a superior mediator because he knows and accomplishes what pleases the Father. He knows exactly what the Father wants, and he accomplishes it. He knows exactly what man needs, and he provided it. Reason number five, It's a better covenant because it has better promises. Verse six, the promises are assured or guaranteed through Jesus. The Old Testament covenant, they were all conditional. If you, if you, if you, if you. But this is not conditioned on our behavior. He bore the responsibility of our behavior. He already acted out the righteousness we were supposed to live. He did it. He met all the requirements of the law so that all that is required of us is faith in his righteousness, faith in his sacrifice, faith in the work he accomplished. And then all the promises become ours. As it says in Second Corinthians one twenty. for all the promises of God in Jesus are yes, And in Jesus, amen, or so be it, it is so, to the glory of God through us. All of the promises now are available. You can read a promise in Isaiah. And sometimes you go, oh, that was for Israel. No, it's now for you because of Jesus. He met the condition and now it's yours. You can put your hand. You can say, Lord, I want this. Lord, I need this. You can write your name as a recipient of that promise because of Jesus. And that's why it's a better covenant because not only does it contain those promises, but the promises are guaranteed. They are sure. Number six, it's a better covenant because it is a faultless covenant. God promised this new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah and also through Ezekiel. Because God found fault with the first covenant. It wasn't working. It didn't work because Israel was unable to live up to their contractual obligations. They couldn't do it. God even tried to force Israel to comply. It says in verse 9 that even to bring them into the covenant, he had to grab them by the hand and he had to lead them across the Red Sea. Israel did not want to go. God had to make the situation in Egypt so unbearable that Israel didn't have a choice. But even then, Scripture tells us that they were always going back to Egypt in their hearts. They might not have been in the land of Egypt, but Egypt was still in their hearts. And because of the inadequacy of Israel's behavior, there had to be many many, many sacrifices. But God spoke of this new covenant in Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one through 32. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. The fact that God said he was going to make a new covenant showed the inadequacy of the Mosaic covenant. So reason number seven, better results or better benefits. This offers better benefits. How many of you have, don't raise your hand. This is a rhetorical question. How many of you have refinanced your house? And why did you do it? Because they offered you a better payment a lower interest rate or that you would pay it off sooner. So we refinance because we want the better deal. And we realized, oh my goodness, I I remember one loan where when we bought our first house, interest rates were at 9%. Now you can get a 4% and that's really good. They're going up right now. I think they're 5%. But for a time, I remember they were offering loans at 2.9%. And that's the time to refinance, get the thirty-year loan, and they keep offering you other loans. You're like, I don't think so. I like this payment because it includes my taxes and insurance. I love that. But this, this has better benefits. The benefits, God says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother say, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So let me give you four reasons or four better benefits of this new covenant. One, it's internal. The first covenant was external had to do with behavior and activity. But this one is written in our minds. Why? We read in Judges 3, 7, 1 Samuel twelve nine, Psalm 78, verse 11, Psalm 106, 13, and 21, and Hosea 2, 13, and even more verses, that Israel forgot their God. They're always forgetting. It was like, I have a God, V8. They forgot that they had a God. Can you imagine forgetting God? They forgot that they had a God. Years ago, I had um, four children. I just had my fourth child. And I went to Knott's Berry Farm with my parents and um, with my sister and her siblings and Brian and it was one of these things that Brian said, I'll take the older kids, and he went off. And my mom said, I'll take the, you know, the toddlers, and she and my sister went off with the toddlers. And I had just uh, my daughter, Kelsey, my father, my, my nephew, who was about three at the time, and Braden in a stroller, who was six weeks. And dad said, let's go to the petting zoo. I said, yes. You know what I did? I parked the stroller and I ran in with Kelsey and my dad and my nephew. And I'm sitting there going, something feels wrong. I feel like I'm missing something. You know, something feels wrong. And I'm I'm there, we're looking at turtles, we're looking at lambs at Not Spray Farm for a good 20 minutes. And all of a sudden I remember, I have a baby. I have a baby in a stroller. I ran out of that petting zoo so fast. My dad's looking at me like, what kind of mother are you? I ran out, there he was, just sleeping in the stroller. I mean, he could have been taken so easily. I, I can't believe I forgot I had a baby. I forgot. But you know, we forget sometimes that we have a savior. We have a God. We have someone we can call upon. We have someone who has promised to always be with us. We need it written on our mind. We have a God. We need his his laws in our mind to be mindful of them. But also, we need it written on our hearts. We need our desires changed, don't we? And that's what this new covenant promises. It promises to change the way we think, and our priorities, and it promises to change even our desires so that we begin to desire for our lives what God desires for us. According to Philippians 2.13, through this new covenant, God works in us to will and to do of his own good pleasure. He puts his desires in our heart, and it becomes our pleasure. So number two of reason number seven, okay? So reason number two under reason number seven. It is relational. It is relational. It's internal, but it's relational. God becomes our God. He takes responsibility for us and over us. You know what it's like to be responsible for your child and to find out? I remember one neighbor coming to our Our house, and he was so angry and he was screaming because one of my children threw a rock at his window. I mean, seriously, what's the big deal? No, I'm just kidding. But he was so mad, he thought it was my son, and he grabbed my son. And Brian came out and said, You know, you won't do this. Brian took absolute responsibility for our son. And Char was saying, I didn't do it, Dad. I didn't do it, Dad. And Kristen's over there trembling in the corner was Kristen. And she didn't mean to. You know how kids do those things? They don't, they never mean to. It just happened. They just thought they would throw a rock up in the air and see what happened to it. I, you know, I remember, I remember throwing bricks up in the air and wondering what it would feel like if it landed on my head. I'll tell you this, it hurt. I went in and my mom said, I'm all cut up. And she said, what happened to you? And I said, I was throwing bricks up in the air to see what they'd feel like when they hit me. And she's like, you stupid child. It was just the first thing that came out of her mouth. Like you've never said anything like that, right? No, we're just perfect moms. Oh, you darling, that wasn't so wise. No. He becomes, he takes responsibility for us. Don't you love that? That's my child. I'll deal with them. That's my child. I'll do the discipline where it's necessary, but they belong to me. We become his people. Psalm 103 says this, know the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He takes up responsibility for us. He feeds us, he clothes us. He leads us. He guides us. Psalm 144, verse 15, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Now, reason number three under reason number seven, it is personal. Don't you love this? No one has to say to you, know the Lord. God personally reveals himself to all those who call upon him. You don't have to go to a mediator and say, pray for me. You can go directly to God and pray. You now, because of Jesus Christ, have access to the holiest place of all. And you can go in with absolute boldness to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace to help in whatever time of need you're in. Hebrews 4, verse 16. You don't need an earthly priest to mediate. You don't need a prophet to tell you. You have a personal relationship with God. Ani says, and I will, they will all know me from the least on earth to the greatest on earth. Whoever, whosoever can have a relationship, a personal relationship with God. Finally, reason number one, Four under reason number seven, it is merciful. He shows mercy with our unrighteousness and sin. He forgives our sin because of the provision of Jesus. Sins no longer disqualify us. They bring chastening, but not rejection. They bring correction, but not disqualification. And once we repent... He promises that he will remember it no more. He won't bring it up every time you get into an argument. He will remember it no more. He will not hold our former sins against us. And now, the reason you've been waiting for, reason number eight, it's a better covenant because it's eternal. It's eternal. This is it. This is the great covenant. It is the one that will never grow old, it is the one that will never vanish. It is the one that will never be obsolete. It has been established forever. Isn't it a joy to know that this is the covenant that Jesus has established with God for us? He took the initiative. He did all the labor living a righteous life and fulfilling the requirements of the law, Matthew 5:17. He always did the things that pleased his Father, John 8:29. And then he paid the penalty of our sins. He offered to God exactly what was needed to cleanse us, to wash us, to remove our sins as far as the East is from the West. That's how powerful Jesus' blood is. I mean, sin is just repelled by the blood of Jesus. Sin has to flee at the blood of Jesus. As far as the East is from the West, Here is the blood of Jesus and sin has to flee away at the power of the blood of Jesus. But that's for next week or week after next. He now offers to us all the benefits of the covenant he established with God for us. We get all the blessings simply by believing in what he has done and giving him our hearts. We no longer need to feel and act So responsibly, the pressure is off. And all we need to do now is fill ourselves with the fullness of Jesus Christ to enter into this covenant and begin to embrace and appreciate and live out all the great things that this covenant that Jesus has made who was a better high priest, who did it in a better place, by a better way, with a better sacrifice, with better benefits. Eternal has done for us. This is a better covenant. It's a better deal. And this is what we have through Jesus Christ. Let's stand up. I want you to close your eyes. Maybe some of you have been feeling so responsible for yourself and it's just been weighting you down and you've been living in the shoulds and should nots and just feeling that you're disqualified or you don't deserve the promises. If that's you, would you just raise your hand because I want you, okay, there's a lot of you. I'm just gonna be honest. Don't look, but there's a lot of you. Dear sisters, you are in the new covenant. You are paid for. You are secured. You have better promises and it is yours. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserve it. But because Jesus earned it. Because Jesus deserves it. Fall on Jesus. Fall into Jesus. He is your great high priest and he loves you. Lord, I pray for my sisters. I pray that you would take this false responsibility and this sense of grave responsibility off of them. And you would show yourself who you are and your strength and your righteousness and your goodness. Lord, you did what we could not do. You did what no earthly priest could ever do. You got and one for us, the best covenant possible with God, whereby now we are the children of God. And it doesn't yet show up what we shall be, but we know this, that when we see you, we shall be like you, for we shall see you face to face. And in that, our heart rejoices. God, I pray that you would bless my sisters, that you would speak to them, Lord, the glory of the covenant, they are bound to you through Jesus Christ and it is good and it is well. It is well with their soul. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen.